Hey everyone, I'm DJ. And I'm Tracy, and this is The Five Before. Well, it's a very special weekend here at New Spring as we're celebrating our moms and the impact that they have in our lives. We hope all the moms have enjoyed some of the special treats that we provided. This is the day to honor your mom by posing for a picture at one of our fun photo booths after the service. But here's a quick look at what kids are feeling about their moms. What makes your mom happy? Flowers, when I listen. Wanna be good or something? Uh-huh. I don't know, that's too tight. What makes your mom sad? When I don't listen. Oh, I gonna get hurt. What's something that your mom does every day? Read the Bible, cleans the house. I think work. Kisses me. What's something your mom always says to you? I love you and brush my teeth. Go clean your room. Behave. Don't let the dog upstairs. Do not bother mom when Mossy's sleeping. How old is your mom? I think five. Twelve. That's a very, very tricky question. Um, I know she's um, a half and something. Seventy. What's your mom's favorite thing to do? Play with me. Sit in that chair. Date night. Shop. Shopping. Go shopping. It's just shopping every day. She always wants to go shopping. She and I get tired. Doing that's kind of boring. Where's your mom's favorite place to go? Chinese restaurant. An animal shelter. I think it's to the mall. Go to the restroom. <laughs> How are you and your mom the same? Our hair. Our eyes. We'll have the same phones. We're really flexible. We both have long tongues, but my sister and my dad don't really. How are you and your mom different? Our eyes are different. The color of me. I'm brown and she's teen. Mom has curly hair and I have straight hair. I do have better abs. What's your favorite thing about your mom? That she doesn't like to be away from us. When she gets down the floor and plays with me. She's a really good teacher. I like her face. Her smile. When she lets me put on her makeup. That I can cuddle with her <laughs> at night. She is really special. She's really, 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 really nice. How do you know that your mom loves you? She prays and she kisses me and she says I love you. She's in my family. How she takes care of us. By making breakfast. Do my laundry. That she helps me get dressed. Takes me to all the things I do after school. That she plays games with me. Play soccer with me. Play bubbles. When I sit in her lap. We watch movies. We get our nails painted. Make a scrapbook. Fish. Outside cookouts and bonfires. She spends time with us and not all by herself. She's painted with us. She does everything with me. Because she says it every day. Kisses me every night. And all kinds of stuff. I just know that she loves me because she says, I'll always love you. She's awesome. She loves me no matter what. Like God. I love you, Mommy. Happy Mother's Day. Those of you who are moms of the kids in 252 Theater can be especially proud of your kids for their participation in the Kids World Project Generosity. 
Once a quarter, kids can use points that they earn in 252 to purchase items for some of the missions projects that New Spring supports. In April, the kids use their points to purchase over $5,000 worth of items for local and international organizations. One of our local agencies, Embrace, sent this picture to show their gratefulness for the kids' generosity. I love seeing kids make a difference in the world around them by purchasing these supplies. And speaking of kids, next weekend, May 18th and 19th, is our Family Ministry Promotion Weekend. If you have a child who is or will be in elementary, middle, or high school in the fall, then they will promote to that new grade level beginning next weekend. If you have any questions about your child's promotion, just talk with their ministry leader this weekend for all the details. Well, thanks again for being here today. We're about to start the service with our guest Anita Renfro and then some great music from the New Spring Band. The talk for today is part of a series called Volatile, learning to keep steady in an out-of-control world. You can follow along and take notes during the message on our New Spring app. Enjoy the service. Hey, good morning and happy Mother's Day. We want to welcome all of you, South Auditorium, North Auditorium, and those of you watching online. We're so thankful to have you here today. We want to begin with, a, with, an, with some real fun from moms here and grandmas here. We have a special, special guest with us. She travels the world. She makes people laugh, makes people think. She's an author. She's a worship leader, a comedian. It is my privilege to welcome somebody who's been a treasure. I've known her all her life. Would you welcome to our stage the amazing Anita Rimfro? Happy Mother's Day! All right, uh, this is for all the moms. This is everything a mom says in 24 hours, reduced to two minutes and 55 seconds. Here we go. Get up now, get up now, get up out of bed. Wash your face, brush your teeth, come to sleep, be head, as you close in your shoes, hear the words I said. Get up now, get up, make your bed. Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you wearing that? Where's your books and your lunch and your homework at? Grab your coat and your gloves and your scarf and hat. Don't forget, you gotta feed the cat. Each your breakfast, the experts tell us it's the most important meal of all. Take your vitamins so you will grow up one day to be big and tall. Please remember the orthodontist will be seeing you at three today. Don't forget your piano lesson is this afternoon, so you must play. Don't shovel too slowly, but hurry. The bus is here. Be careful. Come back here. Did you wash behind your ears? Play outside. Never play for you. Just play fair. Be polite. Make a friend. Don't forget to share. Wait your turn. Work it out. Never take a dare. Get along. Don't make me come down there. Clean room. Folks, close. Put your stuff away. Make a bed. Do it now. We don't have all day. Were you born in a barn? Would you like some hay? Can you even hear a word I say? Sit so close, turn it down, no texting at the table. No more computer time tonight. Your iPhone's my iPhone if you don't listen up. Come on, where are you going and with whom and what time do you think you're coming home? Saying thank you, please excuse me, makes you welcome everywhere you roam. You'll appreciate my wisdom someday when you're older and you're grown. Can't wait till you have a couple little children of your own. You'll thank me for the counsel I gave you so willingly. But right now, I thank you to roll your eyes at me. Close your mouth when you chew. We'd appreciate. Take a bite, maybe two of the stuff you hate. Use a fork and a burper. I'll set you straight. Eat the food I put up on your plate. Get an A, get the door, get smart with me. Get a grip, get in here. I'll count two, three. Get a job, get a life, get a PhD, get a dose of. I don't care who started it. You're grounded until you're 36. Get 
your story straight and tell the truth for once for heaven's sakes and if all your friends jumped off a cliff would you jump too if i've said it once i've said at least a thousand times before that you're too old to act this way it must be your father's dna look at me when i am talking stand up straighter when you walk a place for everything and everything must be in place stop crying or i'll give you something real to cry about oh brush your teeth wash your face get your pjs on get in bed get a hug say a prayer with mom don't forget i love you Let me catch my breath. We recorded that song and released it on YouTube exactly 11 years ago. And if I'd had any idea, I would still be singing it. 11 years later, I would have written a lot less words. (laughs) I was so dumb. But that's the way mom's life is. And we got emails from women um, when when that song came out on YouTube. And they said, thank you, thank you. Because now my kids know I'm not the only crazy one, right? It was good. But then we got emails from guys that said, what about the dads? And I'm like, what about them? What about? Because dad life and mom life is not the same life. Am I right, girls? It is not the same at all. It's like the difference between, say, a chicken and a pig in the breakfast scenario. You know what I'm talking about? Like a chicken gave a small one-time donation. but the pig gave their life. Am I right, moms? It's not the same. And until dads can get stretch marks, I don't think they deserve a song of their own, is all I'm saying. But about 10 years ago, I became a grandmother for the first time where my grandmoms in the house, grandmommies, Gigi's, Mimi's. These are the people that know grandkids are way better than kids. Those of you who just have kids and don't have grandkids yet, let me tell you, grandkids are, you you think your kids right now, those of you who only have kids and not grandkids, you think your kids are the best thing ever. But then one day you're going to have a grandkid, look back at that kid, that adult kid, you'll be like, maybe they're just a little substandard. I don't know. (laughs) That's how much better grandkids are. But let's find out what kind of moms we have here in the house. We have moms of preschoolers. Any moms of preschoolers here, hands up if you can get them up because you're too tired. I get it. I get it. Listen, these are the people who are so thankful for Baby Bay. You can tell when the people have one kid and they bring the kid to Baby Bay, it's first kid. They're like, oh, they're crying. I don't know. Should I put them in? If it's second or third kid, they are throwing them across the counter. Bye. I'm going to worship the Lord and maybe nap. I don't know. School-age kids. We got school-age kids in the house. Where, where, where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God bless. Let me tell you the things I learned about motherhood for those two ages. Um, One is, um, no matter what any website in America says, absolutely nothing is fun for the whole family. That is the truth. Uh, Second thing, if you got preschoolers and you're playing hide-and-seek, they don't know you have to seek them. Just let them hide. Let them think they're winning. It'll build their self-esteem. It's great. Uh, Third thing is, no matter what it says on the back of that Benadryl bottle, I always found you can give them just a little bit more. (laughs) 
high school, high school, high school parents, you guys, high schoolers, God bless. Listen, don't kill them. If you somehow wade through this point, eventually they bring you back beautiful grandbabies. So don't, don't block your blessing is all I'm saying. Don't do that. Um, but this is the age when your kids are in high school where you understand why on Nat Geo and all of those, uh, those wildlife programs, there are certain insects that eat their young. And suddenly that makes sense to you. You're like, I could, could be a tasty snack. Anyway, uh, any ad- parents of adult kids, adult kids, adult kids in the house. Yes, yes. God bless. If you got a millennial, aren't they fun to watch? Don't you enjoy that? They eat superfoods. They don't eat real food. They just eat quinoa and kale and they put avocados on toast like they don't know about guacamole. I don't understand how we failed them in that way. But now they want to get, if it doesn't happen on Instagram, it ain't real, right? Uh, If they get engaged, they want to do it on a sunset hike with a photographer crouching in the bushes. When we got engaged, there had been a photographer crouching in the bushes outside the DQ, which is where most of us got engaged. Uh, We would have called that a stalker, so that's not right. Then, uh, then, they, then they want to get married in a barn with a chandelier, which is why people our age are not coming to your wedding. But it doesn't matter because they don't want your gift. They don't want no gifts. They want you to go on GoFundMyHoneymoon.com and hit a button because our, our kids are now minimalists. Do you know about this minimalism business? They don't want your stuff. They don't want any stuff. In fact, my oldest kid came to me two Christmases ago, and he said, Mom, we decided. Now, what that we decided means is he got together with his sister and his other brother. They had a meeting, and they elected him spokesman for their union. (laughs) And he came and said, Mom, this Christmas, we don't want things. We want experiences. (laughs) So I gave them nothing for Christmas, and I said, here. It's the experience of disappointment. Enjoy that. (laughs) Hope you're loving that. When we were young, we were minimalist too. We call that poor. That's what we call that. I'm so glad at this church, they don't believe in doing no Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day. Thank God. If you ever saw a scripture in the Bible that was a list of all your failures as a mom, there it is, P31. Look it up, Proverbs 31. Uh, this woman, she's into real estate. She finds a field and flips it. And, make, and I, she, she's nice to everybody. The law of kindness is in her mouth. And she gets up early and makes biscuits. It's in, it's in the Hebrew. You just can't read it in there for everybody. But um, I thought this woman had to be, I mean, it even says right there in the scripture, who can find a virtuous woman? The answer is nobody. Can't nobody find that woman. And I thought she was a myth until I turned on HGTV and there was Joanna Gaines right there. (laughs) Who grew up in this church. Well done, church. Now you've screwed it up for everybody. We thought she was a myth, but there, because I never see her get mad at Chip. Never. And if there was ever a man Who deserved a high five in the face. It's that, that man. She makes motherhood look easy, doesn't she? She's always, you know, it's always together with her boo. What we know is, those of you who are moms here today, it's not easy. It's complicated, or it's complicated, is what I call it. If you, if, whatever your relationship with your mother is, it's two people who are defective. And so for some of you today, it's a very difficult day because you didn't have a great relationship with your mom. Or maybe it's a difficult day because you lost your mom this year. Or maybe you've wanted to have children. You have gone through the fertility issues and you're riding that roller coaster over and over and today feels painful to you. But here's what I want to tell you today. Any 
body. Any woman can be a mom. And here's the reason why. When you choose to give yourself selflessly and plant something into another life, you're a mother. It's not an issue of the womb. It's an issue of the heart. If you love and nurture and protect children, you are a mom. You are a mom. So I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate all the people who love and invest in other people because they've made us who we are today. Here we go. This song is for all the women that I've met along the way who took the time to speak the words that have changed my life today. They opened up their hearts and heard the words that I could never say. They took me in and taught me how to love and laugh and pray this song is for every woman who has shown me how to live that life is more more than taking what you need it's what you in our times of confusion 
and difficulty and stood in the gap for us and prayed for us and spoken words of encouragement into our life. These beautiful friends who said, you're going to make it, baby girl. Just hold on. So today, if you would in your heart, just be thankful and say a word of thanks for them, but also determine in your heart to be that for someone else. Can we do that here today? Yes. I sing for Hold on, Mama. Hold on. Happy Mother's Day. If you guys don't know, this is my mom, Anita Renfro. And if you are thankful for her sharing her ministry with you this morning, would you just let her know? Thank you so much, Mom. I have a gift, actually. And and for those of you who uh, maybe are behind on your gift game, uh, you can stop by the bookstore. Uh, You are indeed a blessed mama this morning. We, uh... My wife and I, we're, we're celebrating our first Mother's Day together, so your, your real gift is grandbaby number seven. There you go, Mama. Love you. All right. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. Again, thank you, Mama. We are so excited that you're here this weekend celebrating Mother's Day. Uh, the theme all weekend is Celebrate Moms. So for those of you wa- uh, watching in the North Auditorium, watching online, thanks for joining us. Uh, just really quickly... Uh, Let's just take one more moment before we jump into the rest of the service to say thank you to all of the moms in the room. Moms, would you stand up? If you're in the North Auditorium, you guys can stand up. Stand up, moms, grandmothers. All of you should have a nice, loud cheering section. Say thank you to your mama right now. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated. Hey, again, we're just so glad that you're here. One of the ways that we're able as a church to be able to connect with you is through the Talk To Us form. If you have the New Spring app already downloaded on your phone and you want to get involved with the group or maybe you have a prayer request, one of those uh, things, you can you can go to the app or you can go to talk to us, uh, newspring.org slash talk to us and fill any of that out. But we would love to be able to connect with you this morning. So that's one of the ways that you can do that. We're glad that you're here. If you guys were here for the night of worship, we were actually able to release the song that we wrote and performed that night. New Spring's vision is to make is to help people make an eternal connection with Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is through music. And so we uh, we recorded that song. My mom was asking about it. Many of you were asking about it. It released this weekend, so you can go get it on iTunes. And we're so excited that that's just one more way for us to share the gospel and the good news with others. So right now, I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we're going to be beginning to sing this morning. We're so thankful that you're here with us on Mother's Day weekend. Help us to lift up the name of Jesus in this place today. What greater name in the world than 
exist what greater name with our hope persist than this savior beginning and end my portion creator and friend redeemer and one day
Amen. Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us this morning. You may be seated right now. I'm going to invite those who are going to be taking the offering to come forward. We have some exciting things happening at New Spring we want you to check out. Mark will be out in just a moment to bring the next message of the Volatile Series. Thanks for being here. We're so glad you're here at New Spring this weekend. To learn about all of our upcoming events and announcements, visit newspring.org and click What's Happening. You can also find that same information and much more in our app. Download it today by searching New Spring Kansas in your app store. We're looking for students and adults age fourth grade and above who love to sing and dance to audition for the Kids World Praise Team. If that's you, we have tryouts coming up on Wednesday, May 15th or Saturday, May 18th. Find out more and sign up at newspring.org slash kidsworldpraiseteam. If you're interested in volunteering at New Spring, come to one of our volunteering events on May 18th or 19th. We'll tour through our ministries so you can see them in action and learn about the different volunteer positions we have available. Plus, you'll get a chance to meet ministry leaders and ask any questions you might have. Just let us know you're coming at newspring.org slash volunteer. Due to the holiday, on Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, May 25th, we won't be having our 5.30 p.m. service. All of our other service times that weekend will remain the same. Remember, if you're ever wondering about a schedule change, you can always find out everything you need to know at newspring.org schedule. Parents with children age three and under, experience an hour of skits, puppets, music, and fun with your little one at Parent Day in the Bay on Thursday, May 23rd. You'll see what your child is learning in Baby Bay or Adventure Avenue, plus get the chance to meet our Kids World staff and see our environments. We'll have a morning and evening session that day. Let us know which one you'll be attending at newspring.org slash parentday. Our student summer camps are happening soon, and they're incredible opportunities for students to focus on their faith and God's plan for their lives. If you'd like to give a financial gift to help make these camps possible, you can do that today. Just write Camp Help on your offering envelope or choose Camp Help when giving online at newspring.org slash give. of having mature conversations with people who disagree with you? Now you can avoid agitating situations and touchy subjects with Volatile. For only $99.99 and all of your empathy, this versatile tile can be yours today. Just call 1-833-3-VOLATILE to place your order. Call now and we'll throw in Volatile to go, a mini version of this incredible product that will do exactly what Volatile does, only you can take it with you wherever you go. Don't wait. Call 1-833-3-VOLATILE today. Yeah, we're having fun with the word volatile because really you and I know the sad truth behind it is our culture is getting more volatile all the time. And last week we looked at the definition, dictionary definition of volatile, which means apt to change quickly uh, or unpredictably, usually for the worst. Now today, our title of the message is when your neighbors get volatile, and it's all about dealing with volatile people. Now, you and I know as we look at the clock that a 25-minute message today isn't going to teach us everything we need to know about dealing with volatile people. 
And we live in a world where there are more and more of them. In fact, our series coming up this summer, Clash of Dynasties 2, is a series about prophecy. And what we look at, at prophetically from the scripture is that the genie isn't going to go back into the bottle. Things are going to get more and more volatile. So clearly, I, I don't know everything I need to tell you in 25 minutes. And, and, and what I'm going to tell you isn't everything you need to know. But I really do believe we're going to unpack a story from the Bible today. And we're going to learn at least a whole lot about dealing with volatile people. First thing we're going to learn, and you know this probably already, but it's a good starting place, is that there are two kinds of volatile people. We'll call them type one and type two. Type one volatile people are people who are naturally volatile. I mean, they're usually going to change. It's unpredictable and almost always for the worst. But it's their nature. They've, they've been volatile pretty much all their lives. And you know what it's like to have to deal with one of those people. Chances are you're probably thinking about somebody, hopefully not very many, but we have someone in our lives, and you know, it doesn't do any good to talk to them, really. They're volatile people. They're naturally volatile. We won't spend a whole lot of time there because we're limited as to what we can do. And beyond that, I think it's very unlikely that you're a type one person today. You wouldn't be at New Spring if you were. I, I do think there is a type two volatile person that we have to think a lot about today. Most of our talk will center around this. And this is a person who is situationally volatile. They're not naturally volatile. In fact, they could be naturally very peaceful people. But something, ordinarily a type one person, pulls them into a scenario where they're prone to act in a volatile way. We'll spend a lot of time there, but we're also going to look at another character in our story, and this is a person who is kind of a teacher. Um, she is a hero in the Bible, and I, I speak a lot about her. Her name is Abigail, and if in today's talk you don't learn as much as you would like to learn about Abigail, there are a couple of other messages in our archives here at New Spring that you can check out. In 2012, we did a series called Friends, and there was a message in there called Nerd. <laughs> uh, it's about her husband, but there is a lot in there about Abigail. You you can check it out. And then last year in our series, Kings and Queens, we did a series called, I did a sermon called A Game Abigail. So if you want to learn more about her, you can check out those two messages. So what we're going to do for the next few moments, we're going to meet these three characters in our story. There is the teacher, Abigail. You know about her already. It's fitting that we talk about a, a, a female hero on Mother's Day. And then we're also going to see our type one person and our type two person. It's kind of cool how God puts it all together in one story. In this brief talk, we're going to extract eight lessons, and they'll come rather quickly. And my guess is that there will be different ones of these lessons that will be more salient to our individual situations. But if you're into taking notes, you can catch these eight lessons as they come along. If you're not, these will also be on our app, and you can follow up that way. Let's meet Abigail. I think the first thing that we need to know about her is there's so much that she can't control. I believe the myth out there a lot today is that if we lived in a world that was docile and peaceful and everything was in place, that we could be, we could be like Abigail. But I want to just show you that Abigail lives in a world that she can't control. For one thing, she's married to Nabal, whose name means fool. And on top of that, she lives in a country that's going to hell in a handbasket because of a narcissist leader. So there's a lot in her world that she can't control, a lot that she can't do anything about. In fact, think about the most volatile people in your life and, and check this out. See if that the most volatile people, almost all the type one volatile people, think about how often they're control freaks because nothing will make you volatile like trying to control an out of control world. So when you think about Abigail being our teacher today, let's start with the reality that she lives in a world where there's so much that she can't change. 
She can't change her husband. She can't change the world that she lives in. When I think about Abigail, I'm brought to Psalm 57 because it's, the language here just seems to be written about Abigail. It says, enemies like lions are all around me. I must lie down among them. Anyone feel like that today? You've got people in your life who are type one volatile people and they're all around you and you have to, you have to live your life. You have to walk on that tile. They're there. They're all around you. But look at what the verse says two verses later. It says, my heart is steady, God. My heart is steady. I will sing, pray, sing and praise you. In the King James Version, the word is fixed. And that word fixed isn't in the sense of repair. It means fixed like a fixed point. So you hear what Abigail is like. She has to live around lions and has to lie down among them, but she's saying, but God, even though I can't change what's around me, my heart is fixed and I will give praise to you. I don't want to leave you with the impression that Abigail is passive though, because for everybody like her who lives in a world that they can't change, but their hearts are fixed upon God and doing the right thing, it is amazing what those people do change. They are the ones who change the world. There's, they, don't, they don't focus on what they can't change. They focus on what they can change. Such a pleasure to have Anita with us. And when I, I've had now four services with her on stage, and it's such a joy. Anita and I have a person in our lives who is the quintessential version of this, and that is our grandmother. Um, my grandmother, Anita's grandmother, I, I, I just wonder about her so much, how she was the person that she was because her husband, my grandfather, um, was a Nabal. He was a type one volatile person for most of his life. Thankfully, he accepted Christ in his middle years and the only grandfather I knew was a great person. But my, my grandmother married him, I think when, when she was 16 years old and had nine kids. My dad is the oldest. Anita's mom is one of the younger members of the family. But I think about my grandmother married to a Nabal all those years, but that's not all. She grew up in a home with a mom and dad who were both Nabals. Her dad left the family. My great-grandfather left the family when my grandmother was about five years of age, and she basically had to raise her two younger siblings. There was no faith on either side of their family. I have no idea how my grandmother came to faith. There was so much she couldn't change. But when Anita sang up here today, when she talked about those who have gone on and the legacy they've left, I couldn't help but think about how my grandmother, because I think about how she changed the world. She had nine kids. Think about the world she came from. But out of those nine kids, three were pastors, including my dad. There were three of the girls who sang in a Christian women's group. Anita's mom was one of those. One was a Bible college professor. In my generation, there's so many of us, Anita, myself, and our cousins who are ministering around the country today. And in that generation after that, Jonathan's and Stevens and Austin's and Andy and Elise's generation, there are so many who are in full-time ministry. You think about one person who could change so little and yet she changed so much and what she did change continues to have an echo effect to this day and probably even long beyond my life. So I just want you to understand, don't get the idea that Abigail is a passive person. She's just a, she's a woman in a world of so many bad things that she can't change, and yet she does everything that she needs to do. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the next person in the story. You picked up enough about him already. His name is Nabal. He is Abigail's husband, and his name, well, I'd like to find some way to say this gently. His name means fool. 
I always wonder when his parents gave him that name. How many of us are parents and grandkids, or grandparents, when our kids or grandkids were born, long before they were born, we thought about their names and what their names meant, right? How many of us checked out names and so we're going to find out what names meant? Um, my oldest son, his name is Jonathan Mark. When we were pregnant with our second son, and he's here today, and, and I'm, uh, it, it, just a great story, we were going to call him James Caleb, and I, I like that name. But Mary Alice called me from work one day and said, do you know what James Caleb means? I said, I don't. She said, well, James is a derivative of Jacob. It means tricky, and Caleb means dog. She said, we are about to call this kid Tricky Dog. So that's how Jared, <laughs> that's how Jared got his name Jared Michael. <laughs> Now, as, as we parents, we think about naming our kids. That's why I wonder how Nabal got his name. I mean, how, how does your kid get the name Fool? Did they name him at birth? Did they name him in his teen years? I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just when people said, who made that racket? Fool made that racket. Who did that? Fool did that. Who's driving that car? Fool's driving that car. Well, that's, that's Nabal. And according to our story, he lives up to his name. But let's just let the Bible introduce him. In 1 Samuel 25, that's our chapter today, verse 3, it says, Abigail was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean. Don't you, don't you find those collection of adjectives interesting? Abigail, intelligent and beautiful. Her husband was surly and mean. And then here's what the people who worked for him said. He's so ill-tempered, no one can even talk to him. Find a type one volatile person, you'll always be able to say that about them. No one can talk to them. No one can get their attention. That was Nabal. It is his nature. Finally, we need to meet the type two volatile person because this is what most of our talk is going to be about today. This is the person who's not naturally volatile, but situationally gets pulled into volatility. He is a hero in the Bible. His name is David. Yes, he is the one who defeated Goliath. He is the greatest king of Israel. But it's in between those two events that we're going to find him in a place where he is situationally volatile. What you need to understand about David at this point is that he is hanging by a thread. When I introduced Abigail a few moments ago, I said her country was going to hell in a handbasket because of a narcissist leader. Well, nobody felt that pain more than our hero, David. It all came down like this. When Saul was young, and he was the king, when he was young, it appeared like he was humble. But he wasn't humble. He was insecure. Think about this. Most of the damage that people have done in your life has been because they were insecure. And frankly, when I think about most of the damage I've done, it's been because I was insecure. But Saul is a completely insecure person. And at first, he seems like a very humble person, like, how did I ever get to be king? But after a while, his insecurity goes into full blossom. And now he's like trying to protect something he never deserved in the first place. That's interesting. We'll talk about that someday. When he was early in his kingdom, he had a series of victories. But little by little, he began to move away from God. And God began to raise up a young leader from the sheepfold, a kid by the name of David. And there was a time when Saul and the people of God came up against the Philistines. And the Philistines who were getting the best of Israel because of Saul frankly. Um, they, they sent out their champion. He was nine feet tall, and he just said, hey, listen, there's no reason for us to fight and have a lot of carnage. 
I'm the best man here. You send out your best man. We'll go mano a mano, and whoever wins that whole side will win. Well, all of Israel is quaking in their tents because they don't want to take this guy on. And every day he comes out and flips off God and flips off the people of God and says, you people are a bunch of cowards. You won't send anybody out to fight me. Along comes this kid, David. And by kid, I don't mean child. He's probably about 16, 17 years old. His brothers are all soldiers, but David's the run of the family. He's been left to watch the sheep. And David hears this guy taunt Israel, and David says, what does the guy get who beats him? And of course, they try to shut David up, but you know the rest of the story. David won't be shut up, and Saul says, well, there's nobody else willing to go. Kid, let you go. Let you go up against this guy. So David goes out there with a bag of rocks and a slingshot. I mean, he knows slingshots. He's been watching sheep 24 hours a day. He has to do something with his time. He's gotten really good with a slingshot. He can knock the left eye of a gnat out at 40 yards. So, you know, he, he just goes up against Goliath. It's the perfect thing when you think about it because it doesn't matter how tall you are if you get hit with a missile. So that's what David does. He kills Goliath. And next thing you know, he is cause celeb in Israel. He is, Saul promotes him to the head of the military. It's cooking just fine until one day they have a military victory and Saul and David and the rest of the troops are coming back and the women are lined the streets to sing to the men as they came back in victory. And the women started singing the song. They said, Saul has killed thousands. Saul liked that song. That's catchy, man. That's going to go right to the top of the hip parade. He didn't like the second verse because the second verse was David is slaying ten thousands. And from that point on, the insecurity of Saul warped his world to the extent that he had he, he tried to destroy David, and David had to run for his life. I mean, he has to find some way to exist in his own country when he's a hunted person. He went from being head of the military to public enemy number one. There are 600 guys, kind of a ragtag militia, that have attached themselves to David. So I tell you this story because I want it to make sense to you. I mean, first of all, I want you to know why David's hanging by a thread, and I want you to see how he gets into the story. Now he's running for his life. He has to find a way to feed 600 guys. He has to find a way to earn a living. About the only way to do it back in those days was these, these militias would guard large estates. In those days, wealth was measured by uh, livestock, not currency. Currency meant nothing. But livestock was everything. So if, if a landowner had great herds of livestock, of course, what they would have to have is extensive grazing lands. And the more these herds and flocks spread out in these grazing lands, the more vulnerable they were to poachers and rustlers and attackers. And so what these militias would do is these militias would kind of come along and guard these shepherds while they were out in the fields. And then when the time came for shearing, the militia would present themselves and they could demand 10, 20, 30%. Um, you know, it's like buying insurance. So this is what David is doing. So David goes to the he goes to the area where Nabal is and where this family lives, and they've got large holdings, and David and his men guard them so much that it's a little like a wall around these shepherds, and not one piece of livestock gets taken. We're about to learn our first lesson. When you open 1 Samuel 25, there are 44 verses, and they tell the story that we're about to look at. 44 out of 45 verses tell that story, but one verse doesn't. It's the first verse of the chapter. And guys, if you want to know about the Holy Spirit in the Bible, he never wastes a word. What we see in that one, you ready for this? Because this is really important to the first lesson. 
what we see about David is that thread that he is hanging by gets cut. Read with me. Verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for the funeral, and David and his men headed for the wilderness. Who's Samuel? Samuel's David's mentor. Samuel is the one who has anointed him king. Samuel is his pastor. Samuel is David's last connection to sanity. He's running for his life, hanging by a thread, trying to find some way to exist without getting killed. And the only thing he can depend upon is he has this old pastor who has been his mentor, his guide. And David gets word, Samuel has died. Lesson number one, here we go. When a steady person turns volatile, it's probably wise to notice what's going on in their lives. If you've lived over 30 years, chances are you've experienced something. You have dealt with someone in your life who's not normally volatile, who suddenly becomes maybe verbally volatile, and they begin to argue about things that you know are not really that important to them. It's always wise at that moment to look at what's going on in that person's life. At the risk of being too personal, let me give you an illustration from my own life. Six years ago, my dad died. And he didn't have end-of-life issues for a long time, just for several months. But in that season, all the decisions fell upon me to make. And I'll tell you, if you've never made end-of-life decisions for a dying parent, you don't know what it's like. Nothing really prepares you for that. I woke up for three years asking myself every moment, every morning, did I do the right things? Did I, I would go over those things. It was, just, it was just a challenging thing, exhausting while I was still pastoring the church here. My dad passed away on a Tuesday morning. I was already exhausted, but after I was spent a little time in the room uh, with his body, I went to the little waiting room in the hospital there, and I had my phone out, and I'm planning two funerals. We had a funeral here on Friday morning. There was a funeral that we were to have in South Texas uh, on Monday morning. But what was really challenging was in between those two funerals, I was scheduled to speak on Sunday at one of the largest churches in America. And they'd had me on the calendar for over a year, and there was no way I could get out of that. So here I am, just want to give you, I'm exhausted already. It's been a brutal week. I have dad's service here on Friday, Friday afternoon. After I've had my dad's service, I'm at the airport getting ready to fly out to Atlanta to speak at a church. I thought, well, at least I'll have Saturday to rest and sort of collect myself. Anita and John still lived in Atlanta at that time. I was staying at their home, and I got a phone call early Saturday morning from a leader in that church where I was to speak, and they said, Pastor Mark, you know that our pastor is not here. We have a young man out of nowhere. He's 27 years old. He's suddenly dying, and we need a pastor to minister to this family, and is there any way that you would come and minister? And that's a great story, and I'll tell it to you someday. But I was ministering to that family pretty much most of Saturday. Sunday morning, I get up. I preach all the services at that church. Sunday afternoon, I'm at the Atlanta airport getting ready to fly to Texas. Anita and her mom, Kay, were flying ahead of me. They picked me up in Austin. And they drove me 70, 80 miles. I had my dad's service on Monday morning. I had the service in the church. We went out to the graveside, had the service out there. Mary Alice and I jumped in the car and drove straight to Florida. And on the way back from Florida, I was just not myself. I was angry. I was biting. I was saying things that weren't kind, just, just not myself. And one moment when I was out of the car, Stephen, who was still at home at the time, he asked Mary Alice, what's wrong with dad? And Mary Alice said, he's grieving. See, in her wisdom, 
she was able to look past out-of-character speech and recognize that there was something behind it all. So I just want to leave that to you today, and especially those of you who are married, those of you who are dealing with, you know, you have kids or parents or friends. It's really important when a steady person turns volatile, it's probably wise to notice what's going on in their lives because really, I don't think we can understand why David talks and behaves like he does in 1 Samuel 25 without understanding what God wants us to know from the very beginning. The thread that was holding him got cut. Well, let's plunge into the story. Because we want to meet the people, we want to see what happened, then we're going to extract seven more lessons real fast. 1 Samuel 25, verse 4, David, out in the back country, heard that Nabal, Mr. Fool, was shearing his sheep and sent 10 of his young men off with these instructions. Go to Carmel and approach Nabal, greet him in my name, peace and life and peace to you, peace to your household, peace to everyone here. I heard that it's sheep shearing time. Here's the point. When your shepherds were camped near us, we didn't take advantage of them. They didn't lose a thing all the time. They were with us in Carmel. Ask your young men. They'll tell you what I'm asking is that you be generous with my men. Share the feast. Give whatever your heart tells you to your servants and to me, David, your son. There's no demand for a cash percentage. David's just saying, he's very friendly, very, very humble. We just like to have leftovers. My men are hungry. And they, they did a good job for you. And whatever, whatever you want to bring, Will you, would you please let them have it? Well, if you look at Nabal's response, and our time's limited today, so we won't spend a lot of time here. It's in verses 9 through 22. Nabal freaks out. I mean, but that's who he is. And he starts calling David names, and he starts ripping him off and flipping him off and, and, and all this stuff. And, and, and basically, he finds every way he can to insult David. Well, we know he is insulting a man who was hanging by a thread. He's normally nice. I mean, you heard him talk to Nabal. Please, sir, if you have anything left, just whatever you can think about. But he's not in that mood anymore because the type one volatile person has just pulled type two David into the web of volatility. David's men got out of there, went back and told David what he had said, Nabal. And David said, strap on your swords. David said that was a waste of time guarding everything this man had out in the wild so that nothing he had was lost. And now he rewards me with insults. May God do his worst to me if Nabal and every cur and his misbegotten brood isn't dead by morning. Do you notice that David sounds a whole lot like Nabal? I mean, it'd be one thing if David said, I'm going to go over and whack that Nabal, but he didn't. He said, get on your swords. We're going to kill every male in the family. Every male in the household. Well, we already know there's some really fine employees here. This is crazy. Well, thankfully, the people who worked for Nabal knew who to talk to. Because they went and found Abigail, and they told her what went down. And they said, you know, our master's a fool. Nobody can tell him anything. And he really flipped David off. And David and his guys are not happy about this. So they said to her, you'll know what to do. And she did. We won't read this, but she got a whole truckload of food. And I love this. Abigail knew men because she not only got the meat and the bread and all that stuff, she also got dessert. And so she took that truckload of food down to David. Now, when she talks to David, and this is really important. I don't know how God's going to teach us here today. Each one of us individually needs to hear this on our own level. But Abigail, the teacher, is going to teach David some really important lessons and in the process teach us about how to deal with volatile people and also teach us about how we need to think when we can become a type two person and get pulled into someone else's volatility. We'll go through these really fast. So 
Verse 23, as soon as Abigail saw David, now we've got three lessons we're going to pull out of these verses. As soon as Abigail saw David, she got off her donkey and fell on her knees at his feet, her face to the ground in homage, saying, my master, let me take the blame. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. Don't dwell on what that brute Nabal did. He acts out the meaning of his name, Nabal fool. Look at this. Foolishness oozes from him. Lesson number two, don't expect reasonable from an unreasonable person. If you're a reasonable person in a healthy relationship, you have every right to expect reasonable. But Abigail is telling David, look, this is who he is, and you can't expect reasonable from an unreasonable person. We've said that there isn't a whole lot you can do with a type one person, but Abigail gives us the two things that you can do. The first thing is put space in between you and that person. And I do some teaching on that in the Friends sermon from 2012. If you want to pick up more, you can check that message out. Put space in between you and a type one person. Secondly, she says, don't pay any attention to him. Don't listen to him. See, here's the thing. Type one people know how to get under the skin of us who are type two people. And so consequently, they ply their stock and trade. When we don't pay attention to them, we take away the greatest tool in their arsenal. So don't expect reasonable from a type one person. Lesson number three, there's the importance of slowing down. You're fair people. And I think there was something that probably caught your attention a moment ago. And that's when Abigail said, let me take responsibility. And we're like, well, it's not her fault. Well, she knew that. David knew that. And she knew David knew that. What is she doing? Slowing David down. For all of us who are not type one volatile people, but we've we've gotten pulled into volatility, isn't it true that 99% of the time the issue is speed? We say say something before we think about it. We do something before we think about it. And then when we look back on it, we say, well, that wasn't me. Of course it's not you. But speed. And Abigail is slowing David down. Let me take responsibility for this. She's bought time. And now here is the fourth lesson. Listen to the voices of reason. I love this. Abigail says, and she knows how to talk to me, and you have to say it twice for them to get it. And she says it twice here. Look at this, verse 24. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. (laughs) She just sort of rephrases it. She's saying, slow down, David. And now I want you to, Hear what I have to say. We're not going to have this in our text, but later on when David calms down, he will say to Abigail, I have heard what you said. Now, here's my favorite part. This is verses 28 and 29. We're going to pull three more quick lessons out of this. Abigail says to David, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you're fighting the Lord's battles. You've not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of your Lord. Lesson number five, remember who you are. Abigail is saying to David, listen, Nabal is being who he is, but you're not being who you are. You know, you don't, you don't, she's saying to David, you don't act this way. Even when people try to kill you, you're still gracious to them. So she's saying, remember who you are. And I love the sixth lesson. She says to him, you're too busy fighting the Lord's battles battles to fight with Nabal. Have you ever noticed that when you get into a conflict with a type one person, even if you win, you don't win anything? My mentor, Adrian Rogers, used to say it this way. You can wrestle in a pig pen with a pig, You'll both get dirty, only the pig will enjoy it. 
And that's what happens when you get into a conflict with a type one person. Even if you win, you haven't won anything. And Abigail is saying, is it going to make you feel better to go whack all the men that work here in Nabal? Because at the end of the day, you won't have won anything. Hey, you fight the Goliaths. You fight the enemies of God. You're fighting big battles. You're fighting God, God's battles. Lesson number seven, she tells David, God will take care of him. And that's important because we know what it's like from time to time to be insulted and offended by people who try to harm us. It's important to remember that promotion and blessing comes from God, not from beating other people. This and I'm through. One more lesson. Verse 30, chapter 25. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. Lesson number eight, don't let a type one person lure you into something you'll be embarrassed about tomorrow. This is, uh, this is something that all of us who are parents and grandparents should think about. Abigail says to David, listen, God has given you a great future and great things are going to happen. When you get to the place of your destiny, you're not going to want to have this on your record. And what she didn't say, but is strongly inferred there, is David, people are watching you. Now think about this for a moment. Who are the 600 guys who are following David? They're the future leaders of Israel. These are the guys who are going to be the mayors and the governors and the judges and the civic leaders and the military leaders. And they're watching how David handles this. David basically is setting the temperature for how things are going to be in the kingdom. And it's important for us to remember, especially those of us who are not type ones, but we can get pulled into volatility. It's important for us to remember that our kids and grandkids are watching. Having been at New Spring for 34 years, there are stories I've told in the past that have fallen into the dust of history. But I remember I told one story about 25 years ago or so that was a favorite back in the time. And I was in my very early 30s, I was elected to the presidency of a, of a large Christian organization. It was the organization I'd grown up in. I grew up watching the leaders. I grew up reading the magazine of the organization. My father had been part of that. And so to my amazement, when I was in my early 30s, I was elected president. I didn't expect to be. The other two candidates were both in their 50s, and I was in my 30s. They were heroes of mine. You could imagine my amazement when I discovered I'd been elected. Now, there was an international meeting every spring in the Metroplex. And in those days, I had to wear a suit seven days a week, but especially at this conference because I was going to basically, well, what we might call MC the conference, introduce all the speakers, be sort of the face of the organization. And then all the other meetings, I was going to chair those meetings. So we were getting ready to leave for that conference on a Sunday afternoon. I'd spoken here uh, at, 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 our, at, at our then campus, and uh, Mary Alice was packing for us to leave, and Jonathan and Jared were with us. Stephen wasn't born yet. And uh, so I'd laid out about three or four suits on the bed for Mary Alice to pack with ties and all the stuff that went along with it. We got about to Denton, Texas that evening, and Mary Alice said, oh, no. I forgot to pack your suits. 
Now, I talked about insecurity a few moments ago. I'm terrified of the responsibilities that have been thrust on me. I'm recognizing the spotlight that's going to be on me, and I'm thinking the only suit I have is the rumpled suit that I spoke in today and that I've driven the car all day in, and I just lost it. I hate to say this, but I just lost it. I just started saying to Mary Alice, this is the most, um, this is the worst thing that has ever, it wasn't, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm like, can you believe the position that you put me in? And I mean, I just like, I, I, and then I calmed down for a while and Mary Alice would say, well, why don't we just go shopping tomorrow and buy you a suit? I said, don't know what you're talking about. That just set me off again. I said, I'll go down there. They won't have anything I like. And more than that, do you realize how long it takes to have a suit altered? I said, it'd be at least a week. And I said, well, conference will be over by then. And I just got really upset. And I just, the more I talked about it, the more upset I got. And then suddenly there was a voice that came from the back seat. I had preached a sermon on the peace of God that day. (laughs) And my then 11-year-old son, Jonathan, said, Dad, do you believe what you preach today? I said, you be quiet. I think I said something to the effect, I'm the daddy, you're the little boy. You be quiet. (laughs) Well, thankfully, I'm married to the voice of reason. You know, I'm married to an Abigail. (laughs) And uh, even though I just knew it wasn't going to work, I finally said to Mary, I said, all right, let's go to the mall. And really, to be honest with you, between you and me, I wanted to prove my point. (laughs) I didn't say that in the other three services, so y'all don't tell the other three crowds I think we went to some of the stores in the mall, maybe Dillard's or someplace, and we went in there, and pretty quickly, I found a really nice suit. The jacket fit just fine. It was the color I've been wanting to buy, but I knew I had the coup de gras because all the suits in those days, the hems had to be altered in the slacks. So I said to the salesperson, because I knew they'd have to send it out, and it takes like a week to get it altered. I said, how long will it take to get it altered? He said, oh, we have a tailor here at our store hour, maybe. (laughs) So we go eat lunch. I get the suit back, fits perfectly. Find a tie, and in those days, a pocket square. And now we're leaving the mall, and the suit is hanging up in the bag, I think next to Jared. Jonathan's on the other side of the back seat, and I'm thinking about that voice that said, Dad, do you believe what you preach today? And I said, Jonathan, I believe with all my heart what I preach today. But I said, I wasn't living like it. And that's the issue with being a type two person. You're not volatile, but something sucks you into a volatile world. And Abigail says to David, you don't want to do something now that you're going to be embarrassed years later for doing. Well, I won't take much more of your time. I'm in overtime now, but basically David listens to Abigail, and that's fine, and he, he and his guys put his swords up, and oh, we're out of time. Do you want to hear the rest? Do you want to hear how this ends? Okay, well, here's what happens. Nabal, Nabal goes on a drunk, and he's just totally, totally wiped out for about three or four days, drunk out of his mind. But when he sobers up, Abigail finally tells him what went down. 
And he's so upset by what happened, he has a stroke, and he lingers between life and death for several days, and then he dies. And David hears that that's happened, so he sends a message to Abigail with a proposal. And in verse 41, she said, I would be happy to marry David. That's how it ends. Thanks. See you next weekend.